Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, is the Ford government plan for Ontario Place the right or wrong thing to do? We'll talk about that. After a 15-year absence, Wrexham's fans are singing their praises as they've won their local championship and are actually going to be elevated to the next level. That's Ryan Reynolds' club. We're going to talk about that in great detail. And we cover things American politics with Jennifer Johnson and the Weekly Washington Report. It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We're told that uh, the Premier is going to have another press conference uh, later on this morning. Uh, and I'm sure under the Q&A, there's going to be a lot of talk about what he is announcing anyway for uh, his plan for Ontario Place down by the Toronto waterfront. He says the Ontario Science Centre is going to be moving to a revamped Ontario Place. Uh, Premier Ford says the Science Centre will anchor the redevelopment that will include an upgraded marina, amphitheaters, bars, restaurants, trails, and a massive spa. We're building a world-class year-round destination. You remember when we grew up, you could only come here in the summer. This is going to be a year-round destination that's fun for families and students and tourists to enjoy for generations to come. Uh, about that spot, well, and about a bunch of things anyway, uh, I want to ask our next guest all about that. And, and oh, funding, yeah, where's the money going to come from? Uh, he is Mike Schreiner. Mike, of course, is the leader of the Ontario Green Party and uh, the MPP for Guelph. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time today. Hey, Bill, always a pleasure to be on. I got to ask you right up front. I, I used this analogy the other day, but I just want to run it by you. It, it, it kind of reminded me when the Premier made this announcement about Ontario Place and the Science Centre. Uh, it's it's like in grade school when you had math homework, which was never my strong suit. Uh, they don't want the answer. They want to see the work. How did you get to where you are? Uh, and they're not showing us that. Uh, you know, they've announced this deal. They've announced the private sector deal that I know you want to comment on about this uh, spa uh, operation that's going to be going on there. Uh, sounds like most of this was done behind closed doors, Mike. Well, Bill, we certainly haven't seen a business case for anything that the premier is proposing at Ontario Place. And we know that there's significant uh, and very vocal public opposition to privatizing uh, the West Island and signing a 95-year lease with a private, you know, foreign spa company. And it makes absolutely no sense in an area where there is limited parkland, a fast-growing part uh, of the city of Toronto, and a crown jewel of public space to access the waterfront, to privatize that uh, is just wrong. And, you know, the last time we had a conservative government sign, in this case, a 99-year lease with a private company known as the 407, it was a disastrous deal for the people of Ontario, and I believe this will be as well. Well, and even the premier himself, if I recall, Mike, uh, said that the 407 deal that the Harris government signed was wrong for Ontario. Uh, yet he's doing the exact same thing here, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, to add insult to injury, uh, taxpayers are going to be on the hook to subsidize this spa by the tune of $450 million for a parking lot alone. You know, there's so many people saying Ontario Place is publicly owned, it should be publicly accessible, it should be parkland available to the people of the province. Absolutely, it needs to be, you know, redesigned and rehabilitated, but it certainly doesn't need to be privatized. Well, I want to talk about that for a little bit because this is an issue clearly for the provincial government, you know, because they're the the the, the caretakers, I guess, of this property. But as we know, there's a by-election going on now for Toronto Mayor, and this is going to be a very contentious issue. 
and you talked about access to the waterfront, Mike, and, and that's a key component of this. And I don't know that the premier has addressed this. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure he hasn't. Uh, anybody who knows anything about Toronto or has driven down the Gardner Expressway, for instance, knows that there is precious little access to the waterfront in Toronto. Most of it's covered by condos. Uh, it's terrible urban planning uh, that went into that. So there's only a few opportunities right now uh, for Torontonians or people in Ontario in general uh, to enjoy the Toronto waterfront. Uh, is, it, is it really the right thing to do to turn that over to, to private developers? Well, absolutely not. And I think that's why you're seeing just so much pop public opposition, especially, you know, people who, who live in the area. Uh, you know, that's one of the fastest growing parts of the, of the city. And there's very limited access to park space, public space, especially the waterfront. Uh, but I think just for people all across the province, uh, this is an important issue. You come to visit Toronto, you want to access the waterfront. You don't want to be, you know, have limited access because we've allowed some foreign-owned spa to privatize a significant portion uh, of Ontario Place. And the fact that we as taxpayers are going to be on the hook for subsidizing this and then be tied to a 95-year lease makes absolutely no sense. I, and this is not a new issue, by the way. I mean, we mentioned this the other day on the program. Uh, ever since Ontario hit rough times, Ontario Place, rather, hit rough times a number of years ago, there have been all sorts of proposals. You know, they're going to put a casino down there a few years ago and a couple of other things that have gone on. Uh, but there is usually, in a situation like this, Mike, a process involving public input uh, and in public meetings so people can have their say and listen to what the government's thinking. And, and if there's going to be private sector involvement in any way, shape, or form, it's right there in front of us so we can make our judgments accordingly. Uh, I don't think that process occurred here at all. It's just as something I, the Ford government seems to have concocted and say, this is the way things are going to be. Uh, and then there's not a lot of opportunity here for the public to have any feedback on this at all. Well, you know, Bill, this is either a back of the napkin type planning, which every time the premier does that, the cost balloon way out of control. And you're already seeing that with the Ontario line. And uh, when they ripped up existing transit plans so the premier could, you know, build his pet project, one of the things I said at the time was, is there a business case for this? Has anybody costed this out? And now we're seeing the cost balloon on that particular proposal. I'm worried the same thing is going to happen here with Ontario Place. You know what? Ontario Place is publicly owned. It's a public asset. The people of Ontario deserve to have an opportunity to have input on what the future of our asset collectively is. And the fact that the premier is, you know, frozen the public out and is looking to sign a 95-year lease with a private company and is going to subsidize that company's parking lot to the tune of $450 million, it's just a bad deal for the people of Ontario. Uh, I got well, what I've got you here, and I know it's a busy time for you, Mike, and I appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Uh, a couple of other things, and I know, again, uh, one of the big announcements uh, from the Ford government and the federal government was last Friday uh, with the Volkswagen operation uh, in St. Thomas. They were all there on hand, including the folks from Volkswagen. And, uh, and the premier characterized this as yet another uh, move by his government to uh, to adopt clean energy and cleaner energy and, and moving to EVs uh, as opposed to gasoline and, and combustion engines. You've heard all this before. And uh, there's, a, there's you know, kudos to them. I mean, they're moving in the right direction. He seems to have had this epiphany, and that's great. Uh, but on the same token, I mean, when you look at the overall picture here, uh, there's a concern here about the, the Ford government's reticence to get involved uh, with the clean energy programs that the federal government is trying to move forward right now. Uh, and 
it, it looks as if an awful lot of businesses in this province might actually uh, be the ones who are going to suffer as a result of this, because that means that they're not going to be eligible for an awful lot of, of grants and, and, and tax credits that uh, the federal government is offering right now. Uh, they, the premier and the prime minister, uh, Mike, have, have made a lot about the, the partnership and relationship that the two of them have. Uh, but it's, it's, there are still some big gaps there. And this is one of them, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and here's the thing on electric vehicles. We're playing catch up in Ontario because the premier in his early days uh, was so actively hostile to electric vehicles, you know, ripping up charging stations, canceling rebates. And, you know, now Ontario is having to put significant money on the table to catch up. We're running into the same issue when it comes to renewable energy. The federal government has up to $25 billion worth of tax credits for investments in clean energy for those provinces that have made a commitment to having a completely clean clean grid by 2035. And unfortunately, Ontario businesses may not be eligible for this because instead of moving towards a cleaner grid, Ontario is moving away from it. When Doug Ford was elected, uh, we had the cleanest grid around. 96% of our electricity generation was non-emitting. Now we've backtracked and below 90% is clean emitting now. And on top of that, the government wants to ramp up expensive gas plants, which is going to increase increase uh, pollution by about 300%. And so, one, that's going to hurt us when it comes to investment. I mean, companies like Volkswagen and others are saying one of the reasons they're looking at Ontario is because of our clean electricity grid. Well, that's at risk now because of the premier's hostility to low-cost renewable energy and his desire to ramp up dirty, expensive gas plants. And on top of that, we're at risk of not having Ontario businesses be eligible for up to $25 billion in federal tax credits because of the premier's active hostility to renewable energy, which makes absolutely no sense. I mean, you even have the International Energy Agency saying, the lowest cost source of electricity generation now is solar and wind. And yet the premier wants to ramp up dirty gas plants, which is going to also increase electricity prices. It makes absolutely no sense. Mike, the dark cloud in the horizon here, uh, and, and, you know, it's a sunny day right now because we're moving to EVs and Volkswagen's made a huge investment here. And and we and adds of other automakers, by the way, we need to be clear about that as well. Uh, but if we all do what the province and the federal government are expecting us to do and all going to buy EVs with our next vehicle, whenever that might be, it's going to put immense pressure on the grid. And and my, my concern, and I've talked to a number of different uh, economists and environmentalists about this, is that with that extra pressure, the government's going to be scrambling to say, how are we going to create more energy? Uh, and I mean, when Germany had this problem a little while ago, they, they started opening coal plants again. I mean, this this is a great idea to move to EVs, uh, but it could be a giant step backward when it comes to clean energy. Yeah, that's exactly why we need to have the government, not the Ford government, to end its hostility to low-cost renewable energy. Last year, according to Bloomberg, $1.1 trillion were invested in clean energy projects around the world. Most of that, or over about half of that, going into renewable energy because it's the lowest cost source of energy. Ontario is not attracting any of that investment because we have a government that actually is ripping up contracts for renewable energy projects, even though it's now the lowest cost source of generation. So we just need the government to stop being ideologically opposed to renewable energy 
and start signing contracts to quickly ramp up low-cost renewables, as well as storage options, so we can have a clean grid to help attract business investment in Ontario, to help address the climate crisis, and to help people um, save money on their electricity bills. Well, it's uh, going to be an interesting debate uh, as this moves forward, and uh, we'll see what the Premier is going to be talking about later on today. Mike, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. Hey, absolutely. Anytime, Bill. Take care. Mike Schreiner, leader of the Ontario Green Party. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Everybody knows about Ryan Reynolds and, and the great career he's had, and uh, it's only getting better and better, of course. Um, award-winning, uh, so many different things, a great humanitarian uh, causes that he's involved in and, and initiates in a lot of cases. But he's also a sports team owner, and, and more and more celebrities seem to be moving into that. Uh, no, he doesn't want to buy the New York Jets, or he doesn't want to move in. Buy in. Oh, of course, he wants to buy the Ottawa Senators. I don't know how that's going to work out. But one club that he has purchased, uh, he and his, his buddy, of course, Rob McElhaney, uh, have purchased a uh, football team, well, soccer team, as as we call it over here, uh, in in Wales. And um, th- this is just one of these little club teams, of course, in a small town in Wales. Uh, but since they've purchased this club, things have gone pretty well for them, to the point where they've actually won their championship and are now in, in line for elevation to the next level. What's going on here? And uh, is this one of these great success stories? Uh, I want to bring our good friend Joe Callahan into the conversation. Joe, of course, is a journalist for the Toronto Star and The Guardian, covering soccer and other great sports. Uh, Joe, great to have you back in the program. Thanks for the time today. Great to be with you, Bill, especially for for, for a really, really great story. It, isn't this just one of these great success stories? I mean, mm-hmm. this is this is something where uh, I, it's clear from what we know of Ryan Reynolds. This is a guy that puts his heart and soul into everything he tries to undertake. Uh, but but I don't know that the folks in Wrexham were actually expecting uh, this kind of success this early. But uh, this infusion of uh, enthusiasm from uh, from he and Rob McElhaney, uh seems to have turned this not just this club around, but the, the town up and down. Yeah, you know, the thing about Ryan that's that's just so uh, kind of striking and has been throughout his career, you've touched upon it. You know, for a celebrity, it's a cynicism-free zone with him. You know, he's such yeah. a genuine guy. And, you know, when big money people, big high-profile people have invested in sports teams in recent times, there's a lot of cynicism around why they're doing it. And there was even a little bit at the outset here. This all kind of came about in late 2020. Wrexham are the oldest club in Wales, the third oldest soccer club in the world, actually. And at the time, I did a feature on it for the Toronto Star. I spoke with people in Wrexham. Uh, as you know, I'm from Ireland originally. I've been to Wrexham a couple of times myself. And I chatted with a few people. I chatted with the kind of local councillor. I chatted with the club chaplain, who was the priest there. I chatted with the only Canadian who'd ever played for Wrexham and chatted with a few other locals. And they were just so delighted that some one of this stature, or two people of this stature. Uh, obviously, Ryan Reynolds is kind of much more known than Rob here in Canada and kind of would be in the UK. But, um, you know, two big Hollywood actors were looking upon them and kind of deeming them worthy of this investment and this time. But, you know, ultimately, they didn't know where it would go. And here we are kind of two and a half years later, and it's it's gone stratospheric. It's it's quite incredible. I remember Carrie Harper was the name of the local MP. She was with the, the, the Welsh Nationalist uh, Party. And she said, you know, Wrexham as a town was a place that it looked built like a lot of those kind of uh, coal mining communities in the UK in a post-industrial space kind of struggling for itself, especially post-Brexit, po- you know, during COVID. And Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney came in and immediately kind of immersed themselves in the community. And this week, as you've seen, they've been promoted back to the the, the football league proper, as they refer to it in uh, in England. It's kind of the top four professional leagues. 
first time they're back there in 15 years. But the, the emotion of the day was kind of what struck me. Like in the last two and a half years, these two guys, these two Hollywood guys are absolutely smitten with the place. What's interesting about this is, is you know, as you say, the motivation behind it. And uh, I, I think, you know, a lot of things have happened, of course, when it comes to, to UK football and international football, of course, World Cup being part of that. But I think there's more awareness now. And and I think more aware about, about especially the, the, the some of the tournaments that go on there. And there are Americans with a lot of money that are looking over there and saying, hey, yeah, like John Henry, the guy that owns the Boston Red Sox, yep. of course, purchased uh, a club there a little while ago. But, I mean, he owns the Red Sox. He owns the Boston Globe. He owns Tusk all over the place. I, I You don't get the sense that he's a hands-on owner. Uh, you know, mm. they do it maybe for the investment, maybe just, you know, for the status of saying, yeah, I own one of the teams in, in that division. Uh, but these guys here just seem to embrace the town as much as they did the club. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. And that's, you know, there. I think as the longer it goes and the kind of the more amazing the story gets, you know, the more open they are about the fact that going into it, this was a little bit of, you know, they were kind of like, we'll give it a few years. We'll see how it is. You have to remember, Bill, kind of exactly when this kind of happened. This was kind of in late 2020. The Last Dance, the documentary about Michael Jordan, had been the smash hit of the year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you've obviously talked on the show about Drive to Survive, this should, you know, the documentary that has turned Formula One into the huge mm-hmm. uh, you know, sports force that it is now. You know, it was very much in that space where sports as content was kind of hot. And so they saw this as a kind of a content play first. But what's striking is kind of, like I say, how they are absolutely tied to it. Now, you mentioned a lot of North American owners in, in sports, of course, and, and a lot of Americans in, in soccer and football. And yet the reason I did the piece, as well as it obviously being Ryan Reynolds, but one of the reasons I did the piece is Canadians haven't followed suit in any sort of number. There is... Um, a group from uh, BC who own half of Peterborough United, who are in League One, which would be the third tier. They're the only Canadians in English football all the way down to Ryan Reynolds. So you have like scores and scores of Americans, but Canadians haven't followed suit. And what's so interesting about Reynolds is, you know, because McElhenney kind of has always sold himself as, you know, this typical Philly sports guy. Yeah, Reynolds is kind of, you know, a little bit more kind of, admits that, you know, soccer might not have been his first love, although he was kind of an, an early adoptee at the Vancouver Whitecaps. But he is the one that's kind of really got tied up in it. I saw a tweet from his wife, uh, Blake Lively, after she'd given birth there in January or February, I think. And she said, I just bought a subscription to ESPN Plus to watch my husband experience crippling anxiety live. Absolutely worth <laughs> it. <laughs> you know, um, but but here's here's case in point. Blake Lively, sitting in New York, was able to watch Wrexham in the fifth tier of English football live on ESPN. And that, more than anything else, sums up this incredible journey. Because, you know, English football, you're talking fifth tier, so you're talking there's over 92 professional clubs above them. You know, so there's three different divisions that separate them all the way from the Premier League. And yet, their takeover and the story, and obviously the, the documentary, which is called Welcome to Wrexham, the first season was a smash hit, um, has just led to this explosion. You know, there's, there's Wrexham club uh, jerseys and merchandise is firing out the, out the shop door. They're sponsored by TikTok. Their games are broadcast live on ESPN. I know you've spoken to lots of great journalists from The Athletic, a great sports media outlet. Yeah. Like, much like in North America, where they cover every professional team in depth, they do the same in the UK, but for the Premier League, for your Manchester Uniteds and your Liverpools. And yet this year, they appointed a full-time Wrexham correspondent. You know, like that's the explosion in interest. And and so now where does it go? Well, they go up into the proper professional football tiers of England. 
And, you know, next season will coincide with season two of the documentary and you can only see it going bigger. Uh, I, I, I watched, I probably watched the same game Billy Clively did. I mean, it was about three, four weeks ago on Saturday afternoon. I uh, you know, got, got home from, you know, whatever we're doing and turned on the TV expecting yep. to, to see, you know, uh, you know, Tottenham or somebody. And then there's Wrexham. And I thought, boy, <laughs> boy, have, talk about, you know, they, these guys have won a lottery. I mean, because they, they did not make international TV three years ago, but now they're, they're a hot item. They're a big item. Uh, which yeah. I, I want to talk to you about that because this, as you mentioned, is a small club, one of the oldest clubs in the UK. How difficult is it for these clubs to actually survive and gain sponsorship when there's, there's a lot of money in, in UK football these days, but not at that level? Well, put it this way, Bill. I remember when I did that piece, right? That was the week, the week they were taken over. And like I say, they're now sponsored by TikTok and they have a couple of airline sponsors and uh, Aviation Gin, which is also co-owned by Ryan Reynolds. These huge kind of brands. I remember at the time that the week they were trying to seal the takeover, because at the time, Wrexham were owned by the fans, which tells you how difficult it is. The club was yeah. being kept alive by the fans themselves. And so Reynolds and McElhenney didn't actually even have to buy it. The fans transferred ownership on the back of a promise of two and a half million of an initial investment. But one of the things they did to seal the deal was Reynolds cut an advertisement for the club's sponsor at the time, which was a local firm that did trailers for moving livestock around. So that's, you know, that's the kind of jump you're seeing. So they've moved from this trailer, local mom and pop trailer company to TikTok as a sponsor. But, you know, it's it's really difficult in that space. Like non-league football is what that, that's considered where they were, the division they were. You know, a lot of the clubs that they were playing were semi-professional. And here you have Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney coming in. But they haven't just thrown money at it, like, you know, in a kind of crazy splurge way. Their mantra has been like, if this will result in, if we can see the results of this on the pitch, we'll do it. But we're not here to just like blow millions away, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it, it has been quite measured in some ways. And yet that hasn't reined in the explosion in interest. It's it's fascinating story and 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 mm. you know, who knows where this is going to go? As I say, they start. I guess August now. Uh, they start yeah. their elevation to the next level right now. So uh, the sky's the limit for these guys. But uh, you know, the, I know we're just about out of time. But the big takeaway for me is, is from what I can see here. Uh, when you listen to some of the comments from Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney, uh, they're having the time of their lives. Uh, you know, this this is yeah. something that they, this is just a, a real kick for them. Yeah, they're having the time of their lives. That's exactly it. Like the the footage of them from Saturday, if people haven't seen it, I'd encourage them to have a look at it. Like the two guys were in floods of tears at the final whistle. And and afterwards, McElhenney particularly said something that like, you know, we got into this and we thought it could be a couple of years. I want this association to last beyond me. I want my family to be involved with this club for decades and decades to come. You know, they're they're absolutely tied to it. So for Wrexham as a town, it's it's great news. They're 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 only going up. Fabulous stuff. Uh, Joe, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Really appreciate it. Great to chat, Bill. Chat soon. Betcha. Joe Callahan, of course, uh, who covers soccer and uh, many other great sports internationally for the Toronto Star and for the Guardian. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. He's in. Uh, Joe Biden made it official, of course, uh, in U.S. politics. The U.S. president has officially launched his uh, 2024 re-election campaign in a pre-recorded video announcement that was released earlier this morning. Uh, Biden tells the American people that he's running for re-election because this is not a time to be complacent. Every generation of Americans has faced a moment when they have to defend democracy. Stand up for our personal freedom. Stand up for the right to vote and our civil rights. And this is our moment. 
Uh, so he's in, uh, and I guess Donald Trump may well be in too, depending on what goes on with his court cases, I guess. Uh, talk about that and other things political uh, south of the border. Please welcome back to the program, Jennifer Johnson, Washington correspondent for Global News in the U.S. Capitol. Uh, Jennifer, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for the time today. Thanks for having me, Bill. Was there ever any doubt, really, that Biden was going to run again? I mean, I know he, he kind of teased at it for a little while, but uh, I, I got the sense that uh, that he was pretty sure that, you know, he was going to have to be the guy to take on what looks like Donald Trump in a rematch of, of the last election. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there was any doubt that he was going to run. I think that there are a lot of Democrats who are watching what the Republicans are doing across the country, just in terms of, you know, banning books and taking away a woman's right to choose and reconfiguring voting maps. Um, and Joe Biden has hinted he was going to run for re-election and today made it official. But I think that he, as he said in this, this video, is concerned about freedoms and rights being taken away from Americans, and that's why he's back in. Well, it's interesting, because I think he mentioned this in the video this morning, too. Uh, this is the anniversary, I guess, of the day that he announced, uh, I guess, about four years ago that he was going to run for the, the Democratic nomination. And and we all know the story, of course. He said uh, he wasn't going to, uh, I'm not going to get into this. Uh, and there's a particular, uh, well, of course, what happened was a couple of the, the, the civil rights issues where Trump, you know, good people on both sides, that sort of a thing. And and he said, somebody has to take the reins here. Well, you just articulated, I think, what a lot of Democrats and a lot of Americans are feeling about what's going on now with uh, some of the legislation that's being passed and, uh, you know, the Roe versus Wade reversal and, and a number of other things going on. Uh, and I guess the question Democrats are asking right now, well, if it wasn't going to be Biden, then who was it? There is really no plan B for the Democrats, is there? There is really no plan B. I mean, some Democrats have hinted they may jump into the ring, but nobody with a big name and, you know, people know well is is making any headway in terms of polls or uh, among the American public. So it's Joe Biden at this point or nobody. And Joe Biden feels strongly, as he did four years ago, that he um, that he needs to run again. Uh, the other guy uh, is in the news, too, of course. Uh, Donald Trump has been making the rounds. He's, he's campaigning again, and he's stated his intention, of course, that he wants to run for the Republican nomination once again. Uh, but he's certainly taking it to the next level of basing on some of the rhetoric that we've heard, though, isn't it, Jennifer? I mean, you know, he's, he's talking about using police in the streets uh, to fight crime and uh, building own cities that are going to have their own rules, their own police forces and things of this nature. It's a... Uh, <laughs> A rather dystopian point of view uh, that that he's he's characterizing here, but I, I guess some people are buying it. it. He is making a lot of <laughs> bizarre claims about building utopian cities and, um, as you said, bringing in the National Guard to fight crime in other cities. There's a lot of legalities to that. Um, just things that he is saying are raising a lot of eyebrows, as they often do. You know, last time he ran, he was building a giant wall between the United States and Mexico, and that never happened. But he is making some bizarre claims, and, you know, as you pointed out, I mean, just, you know, bringing in police to, or the National Guard to police various cities and to basically put the federal government in, in control of states and cities, um, arresting homeless people, arresting immigrants, um, not allowing immigrants to have any kind of hearings to see if they actually have a legal right to be in the United States for their own protection, etc. Um, he's, he's making a lot of claims that are raising a lot of eyebrows, but as I said, this isn't anything new with Donald Trump. The concern I think a lot of people are hearing, and even in Republican circles, I guess, Jennifer, as, as you guys have been reporting from from Washington, 
is, you know, he, he goes under the guise of, of a Republican nominee. That's what he was last time, and that's what he's uh, shooting for this time. But by nature, and I think, you know, historically, Republicans have all been about small government. Uh, and, and basically what Trump is advocating for here right now is that, that, that the government, i.e. the White House, is going to run everything. Well, then just Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, same thing. I mean, they're yeah. say smaller government, smaller government, and then they're going into school districts and saying, no, you can't teach um, African-American studies. You know, you, you have to ban all of these books and, and citing them specifically, books like The Kite Runner, which I'm sure many of your listeners have, have read. Uh, you know, they, they, keep, they keep preaching, as you said, smaller government, smaller government, but it seems like Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump want to have their hands in every cookie jar, and it's does not fly in the face of what the Republicans have always said. Well, that's the double standard, exactly. isn't it? I mean, they're, they're always accusing the Democrats of, of micromanaging, you know, when it comes to uh, their their way of governing. It's exactly what they're advocating for, too. They want to tell you, as you say, what you can read, uh, what you can watch, uh, what women have to do with their bodies or what women can't do with their bodies. Uh, they don't consider that at all uh, micromanaging. Well, that's exactly right, especially with the abortion thing. I mean, state after state, North Dakota being the latest, banning abortion after six weeks. And, you know, it's, it's more and more government control, particularly against uh, women, uh, black voters, immigrants, you know, you name it. Um, there's a sort of a scary feeling in this country that a lot of the MAGA Republicans or the extremists want to just make this a, you know, a Christian white country. And that's not who America is. And so I think that, you know, getting back to Joe Biden, that's one of the reasons you know, he one of the many reasons he wants to run for re-election. Um, and, you know, and Donald Trump, I mean, he's got so many problems at this point. I mean, he's there's a jury selection going on right now in New York for a, a civil rape trial against Donald Trump that a woman decades ago is accusing him of raping her in a in a dressing room, in a Burke Goodman dressing room. Um, and she has filed not a criminal case because the statute of limitations is passed, but a civil complaint against him. So that's one of many problems he's, he's got. The Department of Justice still is investigating him over the uh, taking of secret documents to Mar-a-Lago, January 6th commission, his, his role in the January 6th insurrection. Um, that's still under investigation. There's a court case that possibly charges could come out of Georgia for election interference. They're talking about possible charges coming out this summer. So he's got a lot of you know turbulence to get through before he could possibly run for president i mean he will he will run for president but he's got a lot there's a lot going on in his life yeah, the Georgia situation is unique because, uh, as you said, the announcement yesterday uh, was the the, the, so the attorney general for the state, of course, is t- t- I guess was essentially, I'll paraphrase, pre- telling the staff to prepare to uh, issue indictments uh, sometime this summer, which tells us that the, you know what direction that thing is going then. You know, they're not going to continue to investigate. They seem to be focusing in on a couple of individuals. And, of course, uh, he's individual one when it comes to that, isn't he? Right. and I mean, he was telling... You know, a Republican Secretary of State and a Republican Governor to find votes to overturn the election in the state of Georgia. I mean, they have a tape conversation between Donald Trump and these individuals, and so the evidence is pretty damning. Now, in America, you can still be a convicted criminal and run for president and be elected president. So, you know, you know, you keep wondering what's going to stick and what's going to turn voters away from Donald Trump, and the answer so far has been nothing. Yeah, he is what he is, and they, they love him no matter what. And, uh, you know, the, right. the, the contradictions, et cetera, don't seem to bother them at all. 
so that it is what it is. Uh, the other guy that, that comes, you know, uh, time and time again as the contender for this is DeSantis. And, and I know we're still a long way away from the election and, and from the primaries. Uh, but this is a guy that a lot of people said, well, okay, if you don't like Trump and if you're uneasy with Trump, uh, you want DeSantis. He's just not seemingly gaining any traction at all, though, Jennifer. Well, you know, when people talk to Ron DeSantis and when he speaks publicly, they kind of, he's not terribly charismatic. And a lot of people say, well, he's kind of a duck. And he's got a problem in that he's got at least four Republican Congress people from his own state, from the state of Florida, who have already backed Donald Trump, uh, should there be a race between DeSantis and Trump. So these are his own guys that are in his own state, guys and women, uh, that are saying, no, we're going to back Trump. So he can't even attract his own, you know, his own group, his own um, lawmakers from his own state. And so people definitely question whether or not he's got it, you know, he's got the power, he's got the charisma um, to attract voters across the country. And again, he just gets, he keeps getting mired in these, what he thinks is attracting his base, but to the general public and especially people crossover voters, he keeps he's getting mired in these controversies, going after you know Walt Disney World and and you know banning books. Like I said, you know books that many many millions of people have read, banning books and getting rid of African American studies that were was you know was was vetted by professors and, and people for for a long time. It was a couple of years at least. And they finally come up with a study plan, and he bans it, you know. And so I think people are growing tired of hearing about, you know, this guy just keeps getting mired in these little things instead of talking about big issues that are affecting the country, like abortion, like immigration, like climate change. Um, you know, he was on a book tour when Fort Lauderdale was basically drowning, if you will. So I don't, I don't know what kind of traction he's going to get. But when you hear some of the other names, I mean, you know, Greg Abbott from Texas, the governor there, and and a few others that, that are there, but they seem to be, you know, also runs if they're even going to run. But I, I get the sense, though, Jennifer, especially when it comes to Trump's re-election, or, uh, renomination, I guess we should say, uh, the, his quote-unquote supporters are supporting him more often because they seem to fear him, not because they like what he's doing. I agree with that. I mean, he is, he is somebody that still carries a lot of weight with Republicans and big donors. And I think that a lot of the senators and congresspeople who publicly say they're going to back him uh, fear him more than like what he's doing. Um, but the question is, what's you know, there's, there's also been a lot of silence on the other side. Mitch McConnell's been very quiet. Um, the whole Cheney thing, you know, that's been very quiet. So you have to wonder if there's something going on behind the scenes that is going to try to stop Donald Trump. I mean, I, I wonder what the Cheneys are doing, what the Bushes are doing, what some of the prominent, prominent Republicans of past uh, are doing behind the scenes. I don't know the answer to that, but I wonder. Is Rupert Murdoch going to be one of those supporters uh, for <laughs> Trump's uh, re-election campaign? Uh, the, that, uh, that, that relationship seems to have soured just a little bit. Yeah, that relationship has definitely soured. Um, you know, the Murdochs just lost one of case with Prince William in the U.K., uh, which has been reported as being a ton of money. You know, they they lost the case, or they settled the case in Delaware, uh, which led to Tucker Carlson's firing. It, you know, they're bleeding money at this point. I know they have billions, but they also have pending billions of dollars worth of cases 
that they're, uh, you know, they, they still have to fight. And at the heart of that was Donald Trump. And so, yeah, that relationship is definitely soured. Uh, very quickly about uh, Tucker Carlson, who you just mentioned, of course, he was released by Fox News uh, yesterday. I, I, my understanding is he's already got another job, but there's always going to be platforms for, for you know, radicalization like that. And then, you know, so he's their guy. So I'm, I'm not surprised by that at all. But is that going to temper uh, the Fox approach to uh, to politics right now? Uh, clearly they were in bed. I mean, we already you know, heard the characterizations of the pillow talk every night where Trump and, and Sean Hannity would have phone conversations. Uh, and clearly there's a relationship there with Carlson, although they all deny it now. I mean, they, they, you know, the, the evidence is on tape, for heaven's sakes. Uh, but does right. Fox take a, a more moderate, I, 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 Fox moderate, I'm sorry, they, I've never used those two words in that sentence, <laughs> but a more, more moderate approach to, to politics now? I think they're going to be more careful. As I said, these are billions of dollars worth of cases. I mean, the next one up is $2.7 billion. It's another um, polling company. And, you know, it, you can't keep writing billion-dollar checks and not make a change. And so will they be more moderate? I don't know. Will, be they, will they be more careful? I think so. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it rolls out. And, of course, now that uh, Biden is officially in the race, too. Uh, but the out for Trump, by the way, and you guys reported, uh, Global News reported this just a, a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was. Uh, and it was one of those aside comments that Trump made. And they said, are you going to run? He says, well, unless my doctor tells me I can't. Uh, so if things do go south, I guess, with some of the legal problems, uh, I guess that's going to be his, his escape valve to simply say my health is not good. And But he's nowhere near that point yet, is he? No. I mean, he said... Friday in Fort Myers, he gave a speech and he said, we will win the election of 2024 and we will make America great again. I mean, he's, he's all in, but you know, as I said, he's got, he's got a lot of turbulence in the air right now with all these lawsuits. Jennifer, we'll be watching for your reporting on this over global national over the next little while. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks Bill. It's been fun. Take care. Jennifer Johnson, Washington correspondent for global news in the U S Capitol. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.